Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Hoopheads, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Motor City Hoops. Be sure to check out these other NBA pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network, including Cavaliers Central, Knuck If You Buck, 305 Culture, Spanning the Spurs, Daily Thunder, X's and O's NBA Breakdown, LA Hoops, The Wizards Hoops Analyst, At The Buzzer, and Lakers Fast Break, plus our coaching-focused podcasts, Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, Features and Boards, The Green Light, and Courtside Culture. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. Welcome to episode 37 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Before I introduce our guest, I want to remind you to go and listen to episode 36 with Koo Cahill from Locked On Pistons and check out the exit interview series on Detroit Bad Boys, where I was fortunate enough to provide some video breakdowns. But today, guys, we have an amazing guest for you, Detroit Pistons beat writer for the Detroit News, Rod Beard. Rod, thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, not a problem at all. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. On today's show, Rod and I will talk Pistons on Team USA, the number one pick, the timeline of this restoration, and some NBA Finals recap as the Bucks finished off the Suns in six. But first, I want to start off with Troy Weaver, Rod. Just give me your general thoughts on the last 12 months under Troy Weaver and what he's meant to this organization. I think he's been excellent in, in things that he's done. And it's He's brought in a new culture, a new attitude, and um, really shaped this roster in the way that he wants it to be. And I was just amazed that he was able to do it in such a short time. When Stan Van Gundy was here, uh, it took him two years, three years to really go through that roster and get it down to the players that he wanted, and get the, the new guys in that he wanted. Troy Weaver was able to do it in the course of kind of a weekend with free agency and then the draft coming right after that. Um, just figuring out which pieces fit and making those trades and really getting a roster that um, has a clear direction, a clear definition right now. I I think he's done a wonderful job with that. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the most amazing aspects is he he completely revamped the roster in such a short amount of time, like essentially one offseason. I just, I don't know what the history of that happening in the NBA is, but it doesn't seem like that's something you see happen very often. And then to speak to the vision, that's one thing early on I felt like gave myself, other Pistons fans, a lot of hope was Troy Weaver comes in and you could see this vision. And then it started to realize itself on the court. And I just think that gives people a lot of hope around this organization. Even before we saw how good some of these guys were and the number one pick and everything else that vision um, I think gave a lot of people some promise yeah and in the previous iterations of it you kind of with with Reggie Jackson and Andre Drummond you kind of knew well hey it's a pick and roll squad but where are the other guys around them and and we went through the Tobias Harris and the Marcus Morris times and uh, eventually the Blake Griffin time uh, but it still wasn't very clear what this team was. Now it just seems to be very, very clear that these young guys are the, the future. You're going to look at uh, Sadiq Bey and, and Isaiah Stewart. Killian Hayes is, is part of the backbone of that. But Jeremy Grant, too. I mean, you, you know who these guys are, what they're able to do in a very short period of time. And now with the draft pick, you you've, you can see, hey, if you add this, here's what the roster is going to look like and here's what type of team they're going to be. It's just very clear 
where in previous times it, it wasn't as clear what this is going to be. It was kind of, well, hey, we're going to have these superstars in, in Blake Griffin and we're going to try to make Andre Drummond. Uh, that too big sort of scheme didn't seem like it was going to be able to work, but um, we're seeing now that there, there's more definition to it. There's more clarity to it. And I think fans are jumping behind that. Absolutely. And another word I want to touch on, you use the term, the word culture to describe, and and I don't want this to become uh, by no means bashing any other previous management or anything. I I don't want it to be that whatsoever, but can you just speak to the, speak to the culture that Troy Weaver has created um, along with that vision? Because it seems like, you know, Jeremy Grant chose Detroit. Cade Cunningham seems excited about coming to Detroit. So it seems like he's creating a culture where these guys want to come and be a part of this organization. Yeah, I think that's the key to all of this is kind of the network that Trey Weaver has. And um, I mean, the relationship he had with with Grant when he was in Oklahoma City, uh, that came into play. People that he knew from the D.C. area um, and and bringing in the Rodney McGruders and and guys that you just kind of say, well, what's the connection here? It's all going through Trey Weaver and it's guys that he believes can foster the type of atmosphere and culture that he wants this team to have. And it's selfless guys. It's not guys who have this ego. And and again, not saying that it happened with um, Blake Griffin or or any of the other guys before, but it's just about these are just kind of yeomen who are going through this and and are going to play for the team and have a team concept about themselves. And they want to make everybody around them better. There there doesn't seem to be uh, an ego on this team and, and this group of guys. Um, and, and I think that's the type of player that he wants is, is a guy who's going to come out and play every night uh, and, and look to get better on a night-to-night basis and, and dive on the floor and get to balls. That was the, the one thing that uh, he said is, is they want people who are just going to be energetic and go after each game every night. And we didn't see that all the time in, in, in previous years, and now we're starting to see it almost on a nightly basis. Absolutely. I think one guy, one thing that has a common theme with these guys, I feel like you know, these guys have a little bit of chip on their shoulder. You know, Josh Jackson trying to, you know, I don't want to say resurrect his career, but keep his career in the NBA going. Jeremy Grant trying to expand his role or his game to the next level. You know, Isaiah Stewart is that guy. So I just feel like he found and has a great, I think he's a great talent evaluator. That's my opinion on him after 12 months. I think he has a rep for that. I could be wrong. But I mean, the relationships he has that you just talked about, along with his ability to evaluate talent right and locate or uh, hone in on those guys that kind of have a chip on their shoulder and something to prove man that's exciting that has me excited about how he'll continue to build this roster right and, and I think something to prove is, is exactly what it is is, is that a sneak Bay um, was looked at as, as a good shooter but maybe not the right NBA fit what position was he going to play is he a two or a three um, Jeremy Grant is he a three or a four and, and was he going to be a, a top dog alpha guy who can be the number one scorer on the team there were so many questions about so many of these guys you mentioned Josh Jackson look at Frank Jackson look at Saban Lee all of these guys have something to prove that they belong in the league uh, and, and can stick in the league and given that right opportunity in the right environment around them I think they've shown that for the most part. Absolutely. And I want to just give you a chance to talk about something we've talked about uh, off the off air. And that's you talked about how he was able to maneuver the books, uh, you know, the, the salary cap and put this organization in a really good place. Maybe not this offseason, but it wasn't in a great place. And in a very short amount of time, again, he has a set up with this vision over the next couple of years to be in a really good place. Can you talk to how impressive that was? Right. And just clearing the roster, it's not just about the the players on paper and, and what the roster looks like and, and the scheme looks like. It's about what he did so quickly is getting off of Blake 
Griffin's contract um, and setting a, a, a course where you can say, well, hey, and, and that, I didn't think he'd be able to do that. That's one of the more impressive things that, that he's done is uh, trading or not trading, but getting that buyout from Blake Griffin and getting Blake to give some money back. And I think the number was 12 or 13 million, whatever it was. Um, but he was blocking some of the other guys, the improvement that you were going to have with Sadiq Bey, that opens up a spot for, for him because Jeremy Grant is able to move to the power forward spot. So it, it just opened things up and made things very clear about the direction and where that playing time was going to be for those young guys by just moving Griffin. And it, it worked out for everybody. I mean, it, when you look at Derrick Rose, um, he was a, the perfect sort of mentor for Killian Hayes. But once Killian had that, that hip injury, then it was sort of, well, yeah, we, we can't really do much more with Derrick Rose. And when, then when the writing was on the wall that this wasn't a playoff team and, and they weren't really heading anywhere in terms of the postseason, this was going to be a certainly strong rebuilding year. Then, yeah, they did right by those guys by, by giving them buyouts or giving them trades to destinations where they wanted to go. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like to continue with the relationship thing, because I, as a, as someone who's not close to it, but just as an outsider, like I still I feel like those things are huge. And whether you believe it's good karma, good juju, or like real things where Derrick Rose is, you know, you know, talking to other free agents and other players about how Troy Weaver did right by him, I think that was huge. I think, like you said, it ended up positive for everybody in two situations that honestly, Rod, I feel like could have I don't want to say gotten ugly, but could have not been great. So we get Derrick Rose where personally, this is completely opinion, he goes and gets to play for the organization and the coach that he wants to, or at least the coach that he wants to. And Blake Griffin gives a little money back, but he gets to go play for a contender. I just thought Weaver and the organization handled those things really well. And again, it shows a great perception to every other player in the league, an agent. Yeah, and, and players talk and, and they say, well, hey, uh, you don't want to go play for that guy because he's going to trade you. And, and we talk so much about um, like in Jeremy Grant trade talk, should he be traded? Well, if that guy comes here, he, he has a comfortable situation in Denver and he decides to come to Detroit where he can be uh, a first tier guy and, and be the, the go-to guy and you trade him after one year after he makes a commitment to you, what do you think he goes and tells the other players around the league when he sees them, hey, Detroit is just bad news or what do you think their agents are saying? Hey, we, we don't want to go there because as soon as you get good, they're going to try to ship you off and, and put you somewhere else. So I think there's a way to run an organization where you create a, a footprint around the league and a reputation for yourself. And that's how Troy Weaver's gotten where he's gotten is, is just being a man of his word, being true to what he says and, and creating an impression with players that when they go talk to other players or other uh, agents or GMs or whoever, that you get a good sort of opinion of what the Pistons are and what the organization is and what it means when you go play for Troy Weaver. Absolutely. That's one thing when the Jeremy Grant trade rumors or, or talk, I shouldn't say rumors, talk comes up on Twitter or on a podcast or whatever. Like, I understand it. I get it. You know, some people don't think his age fits the timeline or maybe he's not a true number one. I understand all that. But after what he said about why he chose Detroit, yeah. I just don't think it's a, you know, he said, I want to come to a black city, play for a black coach and a black GM. And he chose Detroit. He really did. And I just think it's hard to trade that guy. Um, for those reasons, especially when he's also performing on the court. It's not like he's not balling out as well. So uh, you're, the, the relationship part of it, I think, has just been huge with Troy Weaver. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you want guys like that to come here. They say Detroit's not a, a destination city for free agents. You don't want to do anything to damage that reputation that you've got. And if you've got a Jeremy Grant who wants to come to Detroit, well, what does that mean if you get 
a good draft pick and, and you get uh, other people who are thinking about it when this team starts to get better, that you've got to attract them and it's got to be in the way that you do things off the court as well. Absolutely. So before we move on to some Team USA talking, guys, I know we will talk about Cade Cunningham and the number one pick plenty. I promise we will get there. But Rod, I just want to real quick, what was your biggest surprise over the last 12 months? Maybe the move that um, it doesn't have to be in a negative or positive way, but just you were surprised that happened, whether it was one of those draft picks, whether it was one of the free agent signings, um, whatever it was. What, what was maybe the move Troy Weaver was able to pull off or made that surprised you the most? I think it was just the, the overall roster turning over, but the, the biggest one inside that was the Blake Griffin one because that contract was so massive, and I just didn't think he'd be able to get off of that. And again, with, with Blake Griffin, if he's going to play, he's going to start. If he's going to start uh, and he's in an, an injured sort of state, and, and we saw a little bit different at the end with the, with the Nets, that he was either – he got a rejuvenation, we'll call it that. <laughs> um, but still, if you're going to do a full rebuild, you can't have a Blake Griffin on the roster because he's going to demand a certain amount of minutes, starters minutes, starters salary. But when you get when you clear that pathway for Jeremy Grant and Sadiq Bey, um, you give Jeremy Grant some of that leadership responsibility that Blake Griffin had. But then you also set up your books so that you can get a max level contract player next summer. I think that's just it has so many levels to it that it, it's just wise front officing, if, if that's even a word. But it's, it's just creating a, a space where your other players can grow and they're not under that umbrella with Blake Griffin and uh, Derrick Rose. But you, they can grow organically on their own and figure out what their roles are going to be and, and how they're going to be in the locker room. I think that was just such a critical piece to this restructuring that he's doing. Absolutely. And so you, we've talked a lot about Jeremy Grant, mentioned his name quite a bit. So let's move to Team USA. Obviously, he's on Team USA. He was in COVID protocol. I think that was, um, I don't want to say overly cautious, but I think they were, you know, obviously being very safe with that. He's since been cleared. Sadiq Bay and Isaiah Stewart were on the select team. Obviously, the Stewart injury. Bay got moved up for a little bit. What is your vibe or just impression as far as what this experience has done for those guys individually? Yeah, I think for Grant, it's been huge because he's going to be around some of those top tier guys in the league, your Kevin Durant, your Jason Tatums. Um, and he's going to be mentioned in the same sentence with those guys. And, and whatever you think about him coming to Detroit and what he's done in Detroit so far, the fact that he made the uh, Team USA after being on the select team uh, last time, it, it just says a, a lot about his reputation and how much he's grown in the game. And I think he'll be mentioned uh, in all-star talk because, again, his name is floating around with some of these other uh, perennial all-stars that he made this team and, and, and what he brings to this team is going to be important. With the other two guys, the rookies, uh, Sadiq Bey and Isaiah Stewart, I think it's just important for them to be on this stage and on this platform to be able to show what they can do. The um, we were talking to uh, some of the coaches before, and they were saying, well, hey, these guys are, are really going to benefit from being around the, the main team USA guys, but also the other team select, the select team guys, that just the, the extra preparation that you get, the, the high-level coaching that you get from a, a Greg Popovich, a Steve Kerr, those guys, is just huge for your growth. You see other schemes that teams are running or other things that people can do. You get to know other players around the league, and, and those sorts of things are valuable when you get into the season. If you're talking about a, a potential free agent, well, hey, there was this time that we were on the select team and we got to come across – who knows, whatever, Keldon Johnson or a Dame Lillard or, or whatever. But you've got some, you're rubbing elbows with those guys and you're learning from those guys at the same time. That's just cool stuff for them. 
I was going to say that, like just the relationships again, I feel like that's been the word through 15 minutes so far. We keep talking about relationships, but you get around those guys. And I know sometimes it seems like a joke. People make light of it on Twitter, but really maybe those connections are made between Jeremy Grant or these young guys. You see that happen all the time. I, 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 again, I don't know. I'm, I'm very much on the outside of this, but I feel like some of these guys, free agent decisions have to come down to who they have good relationships as far as other players in the league. And it can't, but help that whenever we have three of the, what, 24 or 30 guys, when the Pistons have three of the 24 or 30 guys there, um, you know, between Team USA and the select team. Yeah, it, it just helps to know that those guys are there. And, and again, it's like when on the AAU circuit, um, when you go around and you meet these different guys and you see them and, and then they decide, well, hey, what college are you going to? Well, I remember playing with this guy and he was cool and blah, blah, blah. It just helps to have those sort of connections around you and know those players, even if it's just you're playing against them for a week or a weekend, which the select team was. But those impressions that you put on people and maybe on coaches um, – all of that stuff comes into play. I mean, who knows what, what happens after Dwayne Casey is done and you're, you're trying to attract another coach and, and they look at it and say, well, hey, I, I got to spend some time with uh, those two young guys on the select team. Those are those are two building blocks. And it's not just you played against them, but you got to coach them for a week or two. And, and those impressions can help you somewhere down the road. And that's the thing with, with drafting, with scouting, that little time that you're doing interviews with players even that you may not be interested in drafting them, drafting them specifically, but just making that impression and touching base with them is always helpful. Absolutely. And I, I, again, I don't make say this to be a knock on anything previous, but I think it brings a lot of credibility to the organization whenever these guys look and say, okay, there's three Detroit Pistons here. There's Jeremy Grant getting minutes on Team USA. And maybe it does, you know, we talk about is Detroit a free agent destination or not because that cap room next season. And I just think I can't help but but believe that that brings credibility when those people look and you see Detroit Piston here and Detroit Pistons there and you see them in, you know, not necessarily the news, but just being talked about and a part of these types of things. It just, it has to, I feel like, um, again, I keep using the same word, but bring some credibility. Yeah. And I think there's a respect level there too of, of, of looking at, well, hey, the, the record doesn't really indicate how the, what this team actually is. You, you look deeper and you see the Killian Hayes injury, you see the turnover of the roster and the, the chemistry and, and how, just on the court, some of the things are starting to slot into place the way that they need to be, but it's just going to take a little bit of time. And, and players know that, coaches know that, uh, the fans are, are a little bit slower to catch on to it, but I think it's very much, this is a, a movement in progress, and people see it around the league, the players see it, and the coaches see it, it's just going to be a matter of time before it starts to come together. Absolutely. So I feel like if we don't start talking about the number one pick in Cade Cunningham before the 20 minute mark, I might lose some listeners. So, <laughs> so let, let's go into that, Rod. Number one pick first. Let's not, nothing with Cade yet, but just what was your vibe? How did, I think you were there, right? Were you? Yeah, we were at the, we were at the practice facility that, that night when the, and, and watching the telecast. Uh, and Ben Wallace came in with us first before he went in and, and did the, um, the thing on camera. But it, it was very, it was surreal. It was just, um, I had said on, I'd done some things before that week and I said, hey, I think they're going to get the number one or number two pick. And people were like, really? I, they've never moved up in the lottery. It's not even, they're going to get the three or four pick, which is what I, I thought would have been fair, but the one or two pick. And I felt really, really good about that. And, um, when the envelope started opening, it's like, well, okay, they don't have the six. Oh, they don't have the five. Okay, this is going to be pretty good. As long as they end up in this draft in the top three or four, they'll be pretty good. And as it went along, it was like, crap, they're going to get the number one or number two pick. They're, they're right there. And then when the reveal came, it's just sort of you're, you're in writer mode 
then. And it's not, you, you, it doesn't hit you until a few hours later, like, wait a minute, they got the number one pick. They're going to get Cade Cunningham probably, but they got the number one pick. This this is just a surreal sort of thing. And so you separate yourself out from it and you write the story, but it just doesn't seem real for a few hours after that. And really not until the next morning that it kind of hit me like, wow, this is really happening. This is this is going to happen here. This It's the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, so I think our listeners would know or people that follow on Twitter, I actually had a high school basketball scrimmage that night. We had scheduled a scrimmage. So I told my wife, who was watching our our kids play uh, t-ball while this was going on, which we'll touch on a little bit later. We'll get into that a little bit. But I was having her watch it on her phone while she's watching our kids play baseball, texting me the results. And she got to like five and stopped. And I was like, well, what's going on? Well, I, I assume the telecast went to commercial or the broadcast. And so I was like... And then she's like, Pistons got number one, and my phone just blew up, you know? And it, it just, it, it really was, it was surreal. Like, I had told myself, we're gonna, the Pistons are gonna get it. They've done it the right way. The good mojo, whatever you wanna call it, good karma, it, it has been going. Troy Weaver, Dwayne Casey, everything else. I don't know that I really believed it, Rod. I was kind of like you. I was like, if we can stay in the top, for me, it was a top three. If we can stay in the top three, I'll be happy. But man, getting that number one pick, it was so exciting. Yeah, and, and complete transparency. I, I go into a situation like that where you start writing the story, and, and I had written a shell story where it was the third pick or the fourth pick. Like, yeah, they got a chance at, at one of the Jalen's or Evan Mobley or something like that. Um, so that'll be pretty cool. And when it got to the number two pick, it's like, well, okay, I can still keep this and tweak it a little bit if they get the number two pick. But once you get that number one pick, the whole game changes. It's just everything is different when, when you're looking at – Cade Cunningham and what he can bring to this roster, um, as opposed to any of those other guys. Those are good complimentary pieces, but Cade Cunningham is exactly what this roster needs. And it's sort of, oh, crap, now I got to rewrite this whole thing in a different way because it's the number one pick. Yeah, so when we're getting ready to get to Cade, I promise, guys. But real quick, just a little bit sidetrack here. We were talking about this um, before we started recording as well. How often do you write an article that you kind of have to go back and completely redo or just scrap because um, a, a change in, you know, the, the ending of the story ends up completely different than what you thought, kind of, you know, talking about with this draft lottery? Yeah, it, it's not very often. For games, it, it's, it, it happens a little bit more often because there's a last-second buzzer beater or a game winner at the buzzer. And you, you go into it with kind of the play-by-play stuff and, and a, a summary of what happened maybe what happened in the third or fourth quarter, but you, you you finish it off in the last minute or two if it's a lopsided game and you're lucky. But for something like this, you're just not really prepared for it because you, you and I had written something again, that was them getting the two, three or the four pick maybe. Um, but the number one is just, is wildly different and you don't get a lot of chances where, um, a lot of instances where you just have to write something completely different than what you came in thinking was gonna happen. Again, for game stories, it happens a little bit more frequently. But for something like this, it's impossible to prepare. You'd have to write almost four or five different stories to have it pegged and ready to go when that thing happens. Absolutely. So let's go ahead. Let's get into Cade. Um, You know, fan favorite right now. People are juiced. This is why, you know, my thing was the Pistons didn't just get the number one pick in any draft. They got it in this draft with Cade Cunningham. Like to me, that is huge because not every not every number one pick is created equal. So what are your thoughts on Cade Cunningham, what you've talked to people about, what you've heard from the organization, what you've done on your own as far as evaluating him? Who Who is Cade Cunningham the player for you? Uh, it, it, this isn't hard. To me, it's, it's Cade Cunningham, and, and, and we're not talking about anything else. 
it, it, he just checks so many boxes of his versatility and things that he brings to the table that um, he can be your point guard. He can be a shooting guard. He shot 40% from three at, uh, at Oklahoma State. He can be a, a, a small forward if you need him to be that at six foot eight and 225. He can guard four positions. He can be your small ball power forward if you need that too. Um, I, th- I just think that versatility trumps everything else that we're talking about with an, an Evan Mobley or a Jalen Green. Those guys are, are pretty much one or two position guys, but they can't control a game the way that he can. Uh, and defensively, he may not get enough credit uh, from a shooting perspective and just getting making guys better around him. Because, again, you look at that Oklahoma State team, that wasn't a great team, but he went there and made those guys so much better than they probably would have been without him. And I think that's what he can bring to the Pistons. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I, whenever I say this, I always try to preface it by like, I'm not trying to bash. Like these guys are division one basketball players. Uh, I understand how hard it is and how much work you have to put in to get to that level. So by no means, but like he wasn't playing with a superstar roster there. And because of that, and you've seen videos on Twitter and you can look at the metrics and everything, he didn't have a lot of spacing to work with a lot of times. And so I think he's going to be even better because of the rules of the NBA, having shooters around him, the spacing, a pick and roll guy. I just, I th- I'm very excited to see because I, I think his game is going to really, really even be even better in the NBA. Yeah, imagine you're you're running this this pick and roll, and you're, instead of kicking to your your college teammate, it's Sadiq Bay over in that corner, or it's uh, Frank Jackson in that corner, or Jeremy Grant even, um, or you're 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 posting up, and you you've got Isaiah Stewart there on a smaller guy. I think just that um, the personnel is just going to be different, and that's where he's going to be able to shine. In that um, he's going to have better people around him, and again, he's going to come on the court and make those players better. Um, with with what he brings to the table, because he's just a floor general, and at six foot eight as a point guard, you see differently than even Killian Hayes, who's six foot five. We've said he's had good size as a point guard. Now you get six foot eight, and just what Dwayne Casey likes is is multiple ball handlers on opposite sides of the court. Now you've got that in spades with with Grant being able to create his own shot. Hayes, we've seen facilitate for others, and if, if Cunningham is the guy, then you've got that, and you've got multiple ball handlers and multiple initiators for pick and rolls. Um, and not to get too far in the weeds, but that's that's ideal. That's what you want to have in these situations. Absolutely, and I, I, I think we agree. I think we're both in the same place with this as far as the fit with Hayes and Cunningham, and I think we kind of tweeted out the same type of play or talked about the same type of play during the season where um, I don't know if it was Corey Joseph playing quote-unquote the one or whatever, but Hilly, uh, Killian Hayes was off ball, and they ran a set where by Hayes being off ball, he ended up catching and being the guy that was able to throw the post-entry pass, and that's what I try to tell people you can still utilize both of these guys' skills with them on the floor together. I know it on the surface, it seems like they both have to have the ball in their hands, but you can run a screen and roll on one side and then setting up a screen and roll on the other or a kick and now Cade can attack a closeout. I just think there's so many fun things you can do with it that I don't think the fit is a worry, at least not to me. The biggest worry is maybe Hayes, I think he's got to improve his catch and shoot. Cade, as you mentioned, shoots 40% from three. So I just think the fit works really good. You know, the fit is there. And again, it's it's not the 1980s where you have one point guard. And if you have two point guards, then one of them's coming off the bench. You can have multiple guys on the floor at the same time doing um, complementary things that help each other out and that help the offense. Uh, and again, Cade isn't 6'1". This isn't a 6'1 guy that you're talking about 
pairing with a 6'5 guy. This is a 6'8 guy. You can put him anywhere on the court that you want to, and he's going to be an asset for you to be able to help um, in the post if you need it, uh, to help and drive. And again, you got a 6'8 guy who's driving to the rim. Uh, in, in college, he didn't. He wasn't able to show that he has back to the basket post up stuff. We might see a little bit more of that if you've got some smaller guy guarding him in the in the paint. I think there's just so many possibilities with what Cade can bring to the table that it's it's certainly worth it. You know, and I, so I I've said that I kind of thought Jalen Green was a perfect fit for this team. If you're just talking about pit fit, so I've never said I've always said Cade's the guy. I'm just saying, you know, Jalen Green slots right into that too, kind of your old school one through five look. He's a high level scorer, all that. But the more we talk about it, not just with you today, but just in general, I'm like. Cade might actually be the perfect fit because of that versatility you're talking about. And so, again, I just think it's great. And you know what I like people have started to highlight more is defensively. You're talking about 6'5", 6'8", on the wing. Switchability across the board with Sadiq Bey, Jeremy Grant, and if Isaiah Stewart has shown that ability to be switchable, I mean, defensively, you can do a lot of fun things as well. Yeah, you can just switch everything. And You've got a, a power forward who's switching off. Oh, okay, well, we got 6'8 right here that, that's coming off as your point guard. If you're doing a 1'4", not a big deal because he can handle that. So it's it's just not the traditional one, not the traditional point guard. It's just another guy who can get out there and handle. Um, and, and think about what, um, let's say, a Kawhi Leonard and a Paul George do. They can handle and be your three or your four and just move around. You can have your 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 quote unquote point guard in the corner and do some different things. The sets are going to be interesting that they can run and the versatility of where you can put Hayes on the floor is going to be. Absolutely. I think that's one of the most the things I'm most excited about for season is to watch games and be able to go break down film of the different sets Dwayne Casey and his staff come up with because I think adding K just provide so many options. Um, but I, I want to talk about, so you put out an article a couple days ago now about the Rockets possibly trying to put together a package to, to trade for the number one pick. I believe it was released on Tuesday, July 20th in the Detroit News. Make sure you guys go check that out and subscribe. Do you think there's any sort of trade package, whether it's the Rockets, the Thunder, the Cavs, anybody could really put together that would make sense for both teams? Yeah, it's got to be a ridiculous trade that you look at it. I mean, in the NFL, the Ricky Williams trade where the the Saints just kind of put together their entire trade package and and Mike Ditka said, just everybody, we need this guy. And unless a team approaches you with something like that, then we're not talking. And and just for me, as the uh, part-time GM, it has to be the number two or the number three pick. The the only way that I'm passing on Cade is if you can tell me that Jalen Green – or Evan Mobley, you can covet a little bit more. And you can make a case for both of them. If you say Evan Mobley uh, sets you up defensively for the next five or ten years, he's he's that uh, rim-protecting shot blocker. He's going to be an Anthony Davis type of player. Not Anthony Davis, but an Anthony Davis type. Then, okay, I can listen to that. Uh, or or Jalen Green, you mentioned the fit already, but if he's that, that uh, mercurial scorer who can um, really help a team, then, yeah, if you feel like that's the better fit for you. But the, the, the answer to me is, what else? What else are you giving me? Houston has to give me the number two pick, and they're, they're sitting on a, a boatload of picks themselves. How many of those am I getting? Am I getting back the, the pick that's guaranteed um, or, or, or protected over the next few th- years um, that's stopping you from making any other draft picks because you've got those protections on it and it's going out to, what, 2026 or 27 or whatever it is? You give me that pick back, yet yeah, what else? And, and the, the talk that has been that Eric Gordon is part of that, and, and they're trying to deal Gordon to get another lottery pick. It's not just another lottery pick. 
I'm going to need the number two pick, another pick this year, and probably another one or two picks down the road, too, to make this worth my while. Because, again, with, with conditional picks and with protected picks, and you're giving a team the number one pick, that they're probably going to be better. You're not talking about a, a one through five pick anymore. Now you're talking about something that might drop into the teens, and that value starts to depreciate when you, when a team gets better over the course of a couple of years. Yeah, that's a great point. I think it was Hal, as somebody on Twitter that I've met through Locked On Pistons, brought that up. Like the Oklahoma City thing is, when you really start to dive into Oklahoma City's Hall of Picks you don't know whether any of those are really going to end up in the top five, especially if yeah. you trust that Oklahoma City's own picks are going to be, you know, not fall necessarily early in the lottery because you anticipate them to be better with everything Sam Presti's doing. So I just think it's hard. I, you know, I play all the, you know, you play the game because that's what we do this time of year. But at the end of the day, I just, I, I've yet to find a trade where, yeah, like if the Mavs offered up Luca, do you probably take Luca because he's a sure thing? But the Mavs aren't going to do that. So, right. you know, I, I just, I've yet to find a very realistic one. The one that would entice me the most is if the Thunder could get, all, uh, use those picks to get it a top two or three and av- add Shea Gilgis Alexander. But now I think the Thunder are giving up too much, to be honest with you. So I just, I think it's hard to find a, a happy medium there that makes sense for both organizations. Yeah, it's just going to be really hard. And, and uh, there was a reader who emailed me a proposed trade and uh, the gymnastics of, of what that meant. It was a four-team deal and the the Warriors were getting – or no, the Rockets were getting um, the number one pick and uh, like James Wiseman and uh, the Pistons were getting the second pick and the third pick. Well, if you're bringing me that and I get a chance to get Mobley and – Jalen Green, well, okay, now we can really talk. That's something that's unrealistic, but that's the type of trade that has to come your way where it, I can't do the 7 and the 14. I can't do um, the 6 and the, the 12 or whatever, the 6 and the 16. That's not enough I, the, because the 6 puts me out of where I want to be. If, if you really are going to pass on Cade, the next thing has got to be you're getting Jalen Green or Evan Mobley. Absolutely, and there's nobody else in there that makes sense. Absolutely. That's what I think, you know, one of the first ones that came out was the Warriors, which was number seven, number 14 and Wiseman. And I think on the surface, people will go, oh, well, that's that's a lot of, you know, that's pretty good. And I think on the surface it is. But tell me which one of those three assets, if we look at Wiseman as just an asset, has a higher chance of being a superstar than Cade Cunningham. Because if none of them do, I'm not interested. I don't care if you, we have plenty, Detroit, in my opinion, Rod, has plenty of those role player type guys. And again, I don't say that with a negative connotation. I was a role player. You need role players that that fit a very specific need. I think this organization needs a superstar. And maybe people would say that's Jeremy Grant. I don't know. Maybe they think Killian will become that. But I think you need that alpha. So if you're not giving me an alpha in return, I have zero interest no matter how many assets I'm getting. Right, exactly. And that's why you can't give me six. You can't give me seven because in this draft and the guys that we've talked about, there's three. And if you believe in Jalen Suggs, then there's four. But that's about the lowest I'm going. I can't get too much lower than that and feel like I'm getting true value unless you're giving – I'd have to feel good about Shea Gills, just Alexander, to say I'm going to do that and the six. Well, no, you got to give me that and like the two. But once you start 
making something that makes sense, as you said, for the Pistons, it doesn't make sense for the other team. And so I, I think that's just why a deal isn't going to happen that works for everybody. And Cade is just the easy answer to all of this. Absolutely. So before we move on a little bit, I want to bring up a tweet. Um, you, you, you tweeted out something, the organization, I don't know if it's Dwayne Casey specifically, um, and this kind of got some national news, but about the question they asked Cade Cunningham or all their prospects. And I bring it up because I think some people made light of it. Some people took it too far, but I think there's some legitimacy to it whenever you put it within context. So the tweet was about how they asked their prospects or Cade Cunningham if they make their bed in the morning. And I just, I want to talk about it again, because I do think there's some legitimate information you can take from a question like that. Yeah, it, it's, it was at the uh, Detroit Policy Conference, and it, it was just a general conversation about the draft and what the preparation is. But it was, they asked, one of the questions they asked, it wasn't the first question, it's not the only question, but one of the questions they asked is uh, whether the, the guys make their bids. Um, from NBA circles, doesn't make a big difference because during the season, you're in hotels all the time. Who makes a hotel bed? What kind of weirdo <laughs> does that? But it, it's it's just how do you start your day with intentionality and with a purpose and you get one thing accomplished. And if you look at basketball players and the routines that they go through, do you come in the gym early? Do you get your shots up? Do you do anything after practice is over? Or do you leave when everybody else does? It's that sort of thing and that mentality that goes into it that they're trying to get to with that question. But it, it's it's an innocuous sort of thing. And it's not a wrong answer if you say, no, I don't make my bed. It's just sort of, hey, that's how you're built. That's how your mind works. And, and that's what you do on a daily basis. I don't make my bed every day um, because in, in my mind, I'm getting back into it. But there are, there are times on weekends, on a Saturday or a Sunday morning when I get up, yeah, and I just feel like I, I want to come back to a made bed. But that doesn't say that there's a wrong answer if you don't. And I think that's what got blown out of proportion. And uh, even some fans uh, uh, hoping uh, there was somebody who sent an Oklahoma State uh, bedroom <laughs> with all kind of Oklahoma State stuff and said, see, Cave makes his bed. It, it's just funny how Twitter is just it takes stuff out of proportion sometimes and out of context. But what are you going to do? No, and that's what I think I, I saw it and I go, okay, they're trying to figure out what makes, you know, figure out about players, what, what motivates them, who they are, what their personalities are. And that's valuable information when you're trying to coach somebody and get the best out of somebody. I think that's what you do when you're a coach. I'm a teacher. When I'm a teacher, I have to know what my, you know, my kids, what makes them tick, what motivates them. And I tweeted, I don't know if I tweeted out or said it on a podcast. Whenever I went on my recruiting visit to American University, where I ended up playing, they took me and my parents out. My parents went with me on their visit. They took us out to an Italian restaurant uh, and you order family style, which means you order for the entire table, essentially. And later on, whenever I became a coach on the staff, they told me they purposely do that to see how I reacted or how players react, recruits react in that situation. Do you just take control and order for the table? Do you go around the table and ask everybody what they want or for their opinion? Do you try to pawn it off onto somebody else? And they just use it as one small little piece to get to know the recruit and how they're going to coach them up, motivate them and help them become their best. Yeah, it's just about personality and your, your leadership style or your, your teamwork style, how you work in a group like that. Um, and and when, it, when I hear that, it, it screams to me, what does Michael Jordan do? Well, Michael Jordan orders what he wants and, and tries to think of a couple of other people. But um, it's not going to be a person to person. Hey, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? That's just not how everybody runs the ship. Some people are just very much, hey, we don't have a lot of time to have a group discussion about this. Let's just order a bunch of stuff and, and hopefully everybody likes it. And if they don't, it's whatever. And it, it's just like when you go out to dinner with your friends, 
um, or you're, you're trying to order pizza. Hey, what do you want? What do you like on your pizza? What do you like? So it's just seeing in a team dynamic how that person operates. And I think that's um, that's a fair question. It seems a little bit off the wall, but it's very fair uh, and gives the coaches a sense of what your mentality is. Absolutely. Like you say, it, it's one of the questions. I assume there's other questions that are along the same lines. Again, to get to know a guy, his personality, and whether it's a guy we're going to draft or not, you need that information going forward whenever that guy possibly becomes a free agent or is on the trade block. Uh, you know, that's what I've said before. People get up in arms like, why are they working out Jalen Green? Why are they interviewing this guy? If they weren't doing that, I would be worried. I want the organization I support, talk about, and a fan of to do their due diligence on every single player if possible so that that way they have that background info down the road in four or five years when maybe they can add that guy to the team. Yeah, and it, it can be simple stuff like who's your role model or, or if you could have dinner with one person dead or alive, who would that be? Those are just general interview questions that you get once you get to a certain level in in, profe- in the professional world. If you've worked with headhunters or, 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 or done any, any type of interviewing, those are the types of things that people want to know because it gives a vibe of where your head is and what you think and, and your philosophies on life. Uh, but again, it's not a big deal if you don't make your bed. It's not like they're not going to draft Kate Cunningham if he doesn't make his bed. And that's what that's what people went to immediately. So that's the frustrating part of it. Exactly. That, that, that's the main point there with all of this is it's not like Cade's not going to be the number one pick if he said no. Um, before we move on to some non-Pistons content, Rod, I want to ask you one more thing. Do you think, so I look at this and I look at, you know, how much better guys were this year than maybe anticipated um, getting the number one pick with Cade Cunningham. Do you think that speeds up or makes Troy Weaver even more aggressive? I guess my actual question is, do you think we see another move this offseason or are we going to play it out with the current roster, go into next year with that cap space and see where we're at? I think he's going to, for the most part, keep it together. And he said that um, toward the end of the season is that, or right after the season, that um, he doesn't see a lot of attrition and, and change in this roster, A, because they don't have a lot of cap space. But again, you just want to get some continuity and, and see these guys playing together over the summer and to continue that. Because um, after so much change and, and so many different teammates, and it took them a while to just get used to each other, now you you know where guys are supposed to be. I think they'll do some things around the edges. They've got some decisions to make with some of their free agents. Um, the Corey Joseph thing, whether you want to eat his uh, $2 million that's guaranteed or just pay the whole 12 and have him on the roster. Um, I think that's a fair question. The, the, the uh, Hamadou Diallo is a, is a free agent. Uh, you want to take a look at that and see what that number ends up being. I think Saban Lee is a pretty easy one that if he's going to be sort of a minimum type guy, uh, somewhere between one and two million, that you bring him back. But I don't think there's going to be any earth shattering stuff until we get to what I'm keeping an eye on is the second round of the draft and those three second round picks they've got. Maybe they pair some of these um, duplicate position guys they have um, and, and try to pair that with a draft pick and move up in the draft or get another guy that they feel is an upgrade at that position. Absolutely. And that's what I I seriously don't want to see any of these guys go. But if it takes packaging one of those guys, I hate to even throw out the names, but a Plumlee, a JJ, a Josh Jackson, a Sekou with one or two of those second round picks to get into the 20s. I I am excited or I don't want to say excited. I I would be encouraged by that. I I want to see that happen because I do think there's great value in this draft in the 20s. Yeah, there's a lot of um, kind of wings and shooting guards and even point guards. Um, that are in that 20-something range where you can say, eh, okay, well, we'll take a, 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 we'll kick the tires on this um, and, and see what happens with that. But I think they've got so much invested in the guys that they've got that maybe one or two or three guys 
might move around. And, and I think they got a decision to make on Wayne Ellington, too. I think he'd love to to stay but and, and be on a minimum contract or something just a little bit above that. But are you using a roster spot on him for a young guy that you could be developing for somewhere down the road? That's the kind of decisions that they've got to make is figuring out what pieces stay and what pieces go and um, how all those numbers work out for that. Absolutely. So we're going to move a little bit off the Pistons here and actually something a little bit more personal to Rod and myself. Um, just from following Rod on Twitter, seeing him tweet about his his kids playing sports. Rod, you have three children. I have three. I want to talk about what it's like watching your kids play sports because, you know, as someone like yourself who gets to go watch professional sports all the time, um, you know, I played college basketball. I, you know, I coach high school. What's it like? I wanted to talk to you about what's it like watching your own kids play? You know, you know the funniest thing? is that I clap. And, and as a sports writer, you don't get to clap in the, in the press box or in the press row. And so you, you're, you're immune to it. When something happens, it's just sort of, eh, well, okay, that was good or, or that was bad. Um, but with, with my kids, it's very much, I'm a fan of what they're doing or a good play that they make. My, my youngest son, both my sons play baseball, but my youngest son is playing uh, travel baseball now and I'm helping to coach that. Um, but the first time I went to uh, sign my oldest up, my wife said, hey, go sign them up for T-ball. And if you know anything about baseball, when you sign up your kids to go play T-ball, they give you a bag and they give you they try to, to make that pitch for you to be a coach. And so I left there with the coaching bag, with the bases and some shirts and everything else. And I wasn't really a baseball guy. But once I got into T-ball and, and, and supporting my kids and they're playing I've really become more of a baseball head than I was. And, and it's just fun. It, it's, it's fun to watch them and to watch them grow through sports. And you know all the benefits that sports has and the teamwork and everything else. But to see them grow and to enjoy it is just the biggest joy for me uh, now is, is I'm, I don't press them. I don't push them into playing sports. Or, or doing anything else. It's just the love that they've developed for it themselves. Absolutely. So you brought up there at the end, Rod, about forcing them into playing. I, I have to be very careful with this. So I, as I've said, I played college basketball. My wife was actually a college basketball player. We live in a very small town. We're both from this area. And so there's a lot of expectations that our kids will be basketball players and sports. And it's like, I have to remind myself, don't force them. My dad, my, my mom, they never forced me to go to the gym and work out. It was all on my own. And I developed the love for the game on my own. And I, I my kids are six and five and two. And so the six-year-old has gone to practices with me. He's starting to get into it now. But before that, he was into like farming and cows and, you know, that type of stuff. And I was having a hard time, but I had to remind myself, you know, not to push him into it. So that's definitely been a hard thing for me is because I want them to be into sports. Did you have that? Did you have to like hold yourself back from kind of pushing them there? No, it, it was just they wanted to do it themselves. And, and um my youngest, he just gravitated toward baseball for whatever reason. It, it, it was weird because it's not a we didn't play a lot, but it was just when we're playing catch, it's easier to play catch with a baseball. And he just loved doing it. And so we, we would just play and go outside and we play catch in the yard and we do stuff now. But um, because he loved baseball so much, then it turned into this this quest that we have we're going to try to visit all 30 of the, the major league baseball parks and so we do two or three of them a year um and just go catch a game but because of that it's his love for baseball that drives that and said hey let, let's do something special around baseball because you love it so much um and we'll just go to all of the parks and and we just finished number 14 and number 15 in uh, baltimore and washington uh over father's day weekend so that's our kind of 
thing that we do, our father-son time, is, is spending it in sports and going around and taking these trips. And sometimes my wife and the rest of the family will come with us. Um, but that's just specifically our time and our time to share. And, and we can talk father-son stuff. We can bond. And we get to take some cool trips in it, too. I always say, I don't know whether it's right or wrong or indifferent, but sports, I just, there's so many values of it to life, you know, like, I mean, like you say, the, those relationships, the life lessons it teaches you. And I say, I don't know if that's right or wrong, good or bad, but it, it, the fact of the matter, it is for a lot of people. And I'm excited to do that with my kids as well someday. Um, one final question on this. Do you have a hard time sitting in the stands watching them play now? Like everybody tells me it's the hardest thing you do. Um, you know, it's way harder than being a player, way harder than being a coach is sitting in the stands as a fan watching your own kids play um do you find that are you nervous does it stress you out um just nervous because i know how much he's worked on stuff and um the the kind of standards he has and expectations that he has for himself so that's what i try to hold him to is say what do you want to do are, are we just playing baseball just for the fun of it or are you going and you want to play maybe get at a college level and he said he wanted to play in high school and, and we'll see how that goes so he played on the freshman team uh this past year and we've set goals for his travel team and what we want to do. And it's going down to, hey, here's how many pitches an inning we want you to throw, or here's how many innings I want you to throw this summer, so that it goes right into what your expectations are for sophomore year in high school. So it, that's kind of, I base it off that. It's just hard to watch and to see um, when he makes a mistake, but it, it gets balanced out when he makes a good hit or he, he throws and, and strikes some guys out. It, it's you live with the, the ups and downs of it just like you would with a team that you cover but it's so much more personal because that's your kid and you want the best for them and, and, and it's always cool our car rides home I try to tell him what I see and then I say well hey what did you see and and, and what, do, what do you think you need to work on or, or what do you what pitch would you have thrown in this situation if you had it to do over again so it's teaching his mind to be a coach and to see the things that I see the way that I see him um, but it's we, we just have a blast with it. And, and that's the cool part of it is is it's not about me and whether I'm nervous. It's really about whether he's nervous and seeing him in clutch situations and pitching out of jams and striking a guy out or doing whatever or the excitement he gets when he learns a new pitch or something. That's the really cool stuff is, is knowing that he might be able to do that same thing with his son because of the enthusiasm that I've created with him. So. I think that's what I like about it the most. That's awesome, man. I, I I love that, and I'm excited to continue to see how he develops, and you know, watch on Twitter, follow on Twitter, and and see how his sophomore season goes. Um, let, let's get back to the NBA here a little bit. So our around the NBA segment, we'll kind of really go into now. The NBA Finals just finished a couple days ago. Now um, the Bucks win in six after going down 0-2. Giannis with maybe one of the most impressive series, definitely one of the most impressive closeout games. What was your overall takeaway, maybe your biggest takeaway from the NBA Finals? I think it was just that that there were two teams and there were two fresh teams. It wasn't about the Warriors. It wasn't about LeBron. It wasn't about um, the Clippers necessarily because we've seen that story. These were just two fresh teams that we hadn't known very much about. And it was the fact that uh, your Devin Booker's, your, I mean, yeah, obviously Giannis winning a title is, is cool because he's so humble and he didn't have to go to a super team to do it. But it's just that, that Chris Middleton got to be on this stage and to show what type of player he is. And he's on Team USA that um, that Devin Booker and, and people got to learn about him and, and DeAndre Ayton. 
that we're starting to see that next stage of stars. And it's not that LeBron's fading away in the sunset, but we learned about some new guys that we hadn't really seen in previous years. Absolutely. I love it. I mean, I said that, you know, whenever all this was going on about how, oh, these playoffs aren't going to be – and you don't want to see stars hurt by any means. And you want to see – Steph Curry's my favorite player in the league outside of Detroit. But it – it was fine. It was okay. Those guys weren't going to be there because you knew these other guys were going to step up, and there was going to be plenty of storylines and and um, role players that that stepped up and had big games. So I think it showed the NBA is in good hands. But one thing, I mean, I was actually, if I was say I was rooting for somebody, I would have said the Suns. Probably I picked the Suns in six. But what I really appreciate about what the Bucks did was. You know, the, the last two years, I don't want to say it's ended in heartbreak, but not with where expectations were after the regular season. And I do think there's something special about a team, a, a player that has gone there, fought through adversity, and then keeps coming back and finally gets over the top. And I did find myself watching him and Middleton celebrate, talk about the eight years they've done this together. I did find myself seeing that as a pretty special moment. Yeah, and, and Pistons fans will relate to that and it resonates with them because the Pistons had to get through the Celtics and the Lakers before they were able to uh, ascend to their championship level. The Bulls had to get through the Pistons. So it's it's a storyline that we're so used to, but it, it's very much, yeah, you, you want to see how these other teams adjust to the Bucks now. What do they do in the West with, with Phoenix still sitting right there and, and probably keeping most of their roster intact? Um, the league has to adjust to LeBron so many times and uh, everybody else so many times. But now what do those guys do? What do the Lakers do to make their roster better? They know they can't beat Phoenix right now. So what do, what do they do to add to that roster? And um, what does the rest of the league look like over the next couple of years? These young guys and, and teams looking at what the Bucks did and how they built this. And the Suns did it. Draft picks. You get your, your, your franchise cornerstone in, in Booker and, and Giannis. But then you add the right pieces to it. It wasn't just that Phoenix got lucky in the bubble last year. They seized on that opportunity and said, the time is now. we got to go get Chris Paul and Jay Crowder to, to, to capitalize on what we did in the bubble last year. For Milwaukee, they had George Hill. They had gone through point guards before and said, you know what? This really isn't the right mix. And we've been in the conference semifinals, the conference finals. But it just wasn't good enough. We've got to pay whatever it takes to go get Drew Holiday because that's the type of guy we need. And Holiday didn't have a great finals, but he made the play that that kind of turned the series around, that made sure that they were able to win this series. So you, you just never know. But I, I think they're both of those front offices struck while the iron was hot, made the things that they had to to to, to make the plays they had to make and get the players they needed to at the right time. And, and that should be encouraging for teams like the Pistons. You don't have to be New York or L.A. or this destination place for free agents to come. If you build it the right way, you can make the right trades or make the right moves to round out your roster. I was going to say, Rod, like I couldn't help, but as you're talking about how those rosters were built, not feel like Detroit is doing it exactly that way. Like make make really good draft picks build that and then whenever the, it's time to really go for it then you may have to make that one move whether it's a free agent make a trade whatever it is but it just seems like obviously we're still early in that timeline but we're starting to go there but I want to talk about Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton because again I think Giannis maybe doesn't get the credit he deserves always I think he will now obviously but I will readily admit I was not on as high on those two guys as I should have been Middleton made clutch shot after clutch shot and I know he had some bad games don't get me wrong but for the most part he made clutch shots when they needed and I thought Drew Holiday was huge in game five, obviously, but I thought in game six, even though he shot the ball awful, I thought his defense really did frustrate Devin Booker and he really showed his value to that team. 
Right. And it, it's not about always just getting a guy who's going to come and score 20 or 25 points in uh, Holiday's case. It's just you fit the rest of what we're doing. Can you complement and support Middleton and Giannis when we need you to? And um, I thought just the way that they put things together and the way that they adjusted to after those first two games, I think the, the biggest decision that they made was was putting Giannis out there in game one because they very easily could have just said, you know what, he's not right. Let's give him a couple more days of rest and bring him back in game two. I think it gave them a lot of confidence to look at him in game one playing on a, a, an ankle that nobody thought or a knee that nobody thought he'd be able to make it through that whole series with. And he looked good. He looked fine. And, and so that's, hey, here's the rest of the series. We got this now. He's at 100% or somewhere closer to 100% than we thought. And and let's just rally around this and, and try to do what we can. But to go, come back and win four straight games after losing those first two, people had written them off. They had, they had well, Chris Paul is this and Chris Paul is, the, is better than Isaiah if he wins this championship. He's two games away. LeBron had started tweeting about it, too. But it just tells you the resilience that the Bucks had with that. It, it was impressive. It really was. Again, I, I try to be completely transparent, and, and like I, I'm not sure I trusted the Bucks. I wasn't sure it was going to get it done. I didn't know if the roster. And you know what? One of their starters was hurt too. You know, so everybody talks about these injuries. Like Dante Divincenzo is a really good player, and you know, they, so they made this run without him as well. So, but I would be remiss not to bring up the Phoenix Suns, and especially, you know, and I, I'm not doing this because I, I like Chris Paul and I think he's a great player. I'm not saying this, but like what Devin Booker especially did. I just hope that people don't forget how good he was this playoffs because he did kind of struggle in Game Six. And same thing with DeAndre Ayton. I, I just. I was so impressed with those guys. Even Mikel Bridges, I thought he had a really good uh, playoffs and NBA Finals. So it's it was exciting to watch and see those guys show themselves and kind of show themselves to the NBA and the world on that biggest stage. Yeah, they they weren't even supposed to be there. That nobody had had, had pegged the Suns. Maybe they win a, a round in the playoffs. You would have said at the beginning of the season. But they put out the Lakers. They put out the Clippers. They had a hard road to get there themselves. And the fact that they made it there, I would say almost for both teams, just getting to the finals was enough. Somebody had to win after that. But just getting there proved a lot of people wrong and um, just set these teams up for a long future because they're getting this valuable playoff experience and playing in the finals. And and Booker's going to improve from that. And... um, Aiton's going to improve from that. The Bucks are going to improve from that. So again, I, I just say down the road in the next couple of years, this these, this trip to the finals is going to prove such a, as a valuable experience for all of these guys. Absolutely. And we, we do have a few minutes here, Rod. So I do want to go and talk a little bit of Team USA because I would say three of the five best players on the floor in, the floor in these finals are now going to go join Team USA. And you alluded to this with a tweet. Um, I, I, you know, I know... It looked a little bit problematic. Team USA loses a couple games, exhibition games. Um, people got a little bit nervous about it. And you tweeted out like, hey, there's reinforcement coming. And not just guys that are good players, I think really fit this team, what it needs, what it was missing. And Drew Holiday specifically fits the international game because of his physical defensive style. Yeah, and, and along with Jeremy Grant too, those guys aren't there to be volume scorers. Though They're there to be uh, on-ball defenders. And I think people just overreacted, as, as Twitter always does, that the losses are the losses, but the rest of the world is better, too. It's not like these are just schlubs who are out here. Um, but you've got to look at three. That's a quarter of your team that's not there. I think they traveled to Tokyo with eight players, um, and, and now they're saying that um, Steve Kerr just said today that um, those guys are going to arrive on Saturday 
and the first game is Sunday against France. So it's going to take some time to build that chemistry and for those guys to gel. But, yeah, you're getting a top-notch defender. You're getting two very prolific scorers like we just saw in the finals. I think they'll be able to figure all the rest of that stuff out. They may not play as much in the pool play, but once they get to the medal rounds, I think they'll be able to put all that stuff together. So you said eight players. So um, Zach Levine, is it Zach Levine that's in protocol right now but may still make the trip? Is that what's happening? He, he, he is. He's out of protocol now, and he is making the trip over. So I think in the, he didn't go with the rest of the team, but I think he went like the next day. So it would have been Tuesday or Wednesday. I got you. And I think you brought up a good point because I think what I've said is obviously the international game has – hasn't caught up to the U.S. game, but is catching up, especially from what it used to be. And I think the example I gave was everybody said, you know, Nigeria, whatever it was, eight years ago, Team USA beat by 100 points. And it's like, I don't know this for a fact, but how many NBA players do you think was on that Nigerian roster eight years ago? There was five or six guys, and not only NBA guys, but now they have something to play for, something to prove, a roster spot, um, you know, show something to their coach or their organization. Where eight years ago, my guess, I don't mean this in a disrespectful way, that Nigerian team was probably just stepping on the floor, just happy to be there and play against the Dream Team. Well, not the Dream Team. Um, that would have been even longer ago, but eight years ago, just play against Team USA. Yeah, it, it's not a situation where guys are trying to ask for autographs like they did uh, with the Dream Team. Now you've got a lot of guys who are, who are teammates with some of these guys. Um, and, and that Nigerian team, as you said, they had quite a few players. But but moreover, they had a coach in Mike Brown who is well-versed in the NBA and knows the tendencies of some of these guys. So you think he didn't know how to beat this team and how to break it down with, we'll call it lesser talent because it absolutely is. But that's just where we've gotten on the international stage now is that it's not just the haves and the have-nots. A lot of this talent is spread around. A lot of this coaching is spread around. And um, it's not going to be as easy as it was before. I I still think that that the U.S. is going to medal. may not be the gold medal. But you're right. The international pieces around them, those other teams have have gotten so much better than they were in previous years. Yeah, I mean, I just what I say is it's shrunk the margin of error. Like Team USA can't just walk on the floor and out talent the other team or out athletic, uh, athletic the other team. They have to, you know, build some chemistry and who's the alpha? Who's going to take the late game? Because there, there are going to be close games. We are going to be in a situation now with two minutes to go. Who's, who's, who's going to end up with those shots? Are we going to go isolation with KD? Are we going to run a set for Dame? You know, what are we going to do? And so I do think the margin of error is shrunk. And so now we have to step up our game a little bit just in terms of the chemistry, the role guys you're talking about, Jeremy Grant, Drew Holiday, that can shut down some of these really, really good players on other um, international teams. Yeah, and just look at the three-point shooting that you're adding now just with um, Booker and, and Middleton that seem to be lacking in some of those previous games, in the, in the exhibition games. I just think it's going to turn around and, and we're going to see something a little bit different and, and people maybe overreact a little bit. But, I mean, even if they don't, it's not the end of the world because the world is better. It, it, you've got Luka looming out there. Australia has a good team. Um, Spain has a good team. There, there are plenty of other good teams out there. It's not just like the U.S. and, and one or two other teams around the world. Um, the U.S. is really going to have to work if they're going to medal this year. Absolutely, and it's it's exciting. We'll have the the Olympics to watch. The TBTs going on. WNBA's on. Lots of good basketball, even with the NBA season finishing up. And uh, you know that will lead us into summer league, and then we'll have a little bit of a break um, before the regular season. But it's exciting to still have high basketball, high level basketball um, to watch. Oh no, absolutely. I think it's the summer's going to be fun, and I'm excited about summer league. That's what. 
three weeks yeah, from now? I think so. Like, uh, I, I talked my wife into going. Uh, I told her, hey, I'll, I'll pretty much essentially I'll pay for you to go to Vegas with a friend if you let me go to summer, <laughs> if, you, if you let me go to summer league. So she's bringing a friend. We're not even staying in the same hotel room. Her and her friend are going to go do their thing for a couple days, and I'm going to summer league. So, Oh, good, good man. Good man. You negotiated your way into doing it. I just booked my flight uh, the other day. So I'm just excited to see what this team looks like. And, and um, I, now that I, I think about it, I mean, maybe Isaiah Stewart doesn't play in the summer league. I was thinking they would have one of the better summer league teams we've seen. But, I mean, even still, if it's Cade or, or whoever it ends up being, it's going to be fun to see basketball in person. Um, and, and the Pistons with a team that's going to be one of the better ones there at Summer League. Absolutely. I'm very excited to see it and some of these young guys. And uh, I'm excited for the rosters to come out so we can kind of see, uh, you know, who we're going to see play. But, Rod, I've taken up enough of your time for today. I know you have uh, things to get to. Thank you so much for joining the show. Guys, I'm not going to get into what happened, but I just, Rod is big time for working with me on this. I tweeted out that we had some technical difficulties. They were big technical difficulties, and he came in clutch um, to work through those. I appreciate him so much. Um, So thank you again, Rod. Uh, Let let the listeners know where they can find you, social media, the work you do. Uh, at DetroitNews.com online and then on Twitter at DET News Rod Beard. And uh, I, it's no problem. I, I've been there and I, I've had the things where um, I talked to Stan Van Gundy for 10 or 15 minutes and then looked down and the recorder wasn't recording or the battery turned off or something. And, and I had to uh, go back and, and, and say, hey, we need to re record this thing. So I, I've seen the technical difficulties and I know how that works. But no, anytime I can help out, just let me know. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Hopefully we can have you on again. Guys, we have a great lineup of guests coming up, including Mark Schindler from Premium Hoops, Matt Derry from Locked On Lions and the Pistons Pod, and one of our favorite draft guys, CJ Marchesani from The Stepian. Thank you to everyone contributing to and supporting Motor City Hoops. I appreciate all of you so much. Thank you and talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.